Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Thank you for stopping by the Business Growth Cafe today. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host. Now, I'm a marketer, a fractional CMO. And if you've been listening to the show, you know I focus on strategy. We use research to gather those insights for our customers, to understand how their customers buy, are influenced by, consume information. Same thing with their prospects. We look at the competition and we use research to gather insights within the market in which they compete to help build those marketing blueprints, focusing on messaging, whether it's for various verticals, positioning strategies, all about supporting and building enduring brands. Now, it really doesn't matter if they're a startup, medium-sized company, small company, enterprise. It really doesn't matter. There's a process to this gathering and utilizing that information. Now, at marketing, we think about marketing, we're not an island. I talk about this all the time with sales and marketing, sitting around singing Kumbaya. But when it comes to the marketing department, we just don't sit around on an island by ourselves. right? We're not sitting around drinking pina coladas watching the waves come in. We're part of the team. Everything we do in marketing impacts every department within the company. But marketing isn't just about the tactical stuff. It's not about developing ads and digital campaigns and websites, TV commercials, outdoor boards, radio spots, or whatever it happens to be. It's about taking a holistic view of the company and its operations. If we're successful and sales hits a home run, the question is, can we make the product? How efficient is manufacturing? Do we have the inventory, the accounting? Do we have the people? Do we have the wherewithal to deliver on the work that we're doing in marketing and sales to make the company grow? So today at the cafe, we have an operations expert to provide us insights on how to build better operation mousetrap. My guest is Jeff Brown, founder and president of Brown & Associates. They specialize in improving large-scale systems in order to develop and adopt a culture that eliminates waste and improves operational effectiveness. With 25 years in creating, building, and growing successful companies, Jeff has a unique ability to identify even the slightest improvements that can be made in operations that can have dramatic results on the business. He's a true entrepreneur with a passion and energy for driving results while maintaining fiscal responsibility. Jeff successfully builds winning teams of sales and operations staff and has a unique ability to recruit and hire only the best talent. So don't go away. We'll be right back to help you have a better understanding on how to improve your current operations in your business. My company, The Ponzi Group, provides consulting, interim, and fractional marketing and leadership services with a focus on the strategic and analytical side of marketing we take a holistic approach to driving business growth. Consider us your marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, the competition, and the marketplace to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. And, much like a general contractor, we partner with internal teams or carefully selected vetted individuals and organizations to execute the strategies and plans as well as provide oversight and management to ensure we stay on brand and plan. To learn more about our services, visit theponzagroup.com.
As I said, I have Jeff Brown, founder and president of Brown and Associates, specializing in improving large-scale systems in order to develop and adopt a culture that eliminates waste and improves operational efficiencies for your manufacturing company. Jeff, welcome to the Business Growth Cafe. Thanks, Angelo. I appreciate you having me on your show. Yeah, you know, you're you're going to be one of the first. Now, I've had other operations people, but we're going to talk really a lot about, about manufacturing today, and, and nobody's really just focused on that. So I, I'm excited to have you on the show. This will, we got a lot of territory to explore and kind of dig in and, and look at some of those nuances. But before we get going, why don't you take a few minutes and, and tell the listeners about who you are and your business? Sure. Uh, I'm the president of Jeffrey Brown and Associates, Brown and Associates for short. Uh, so uh, for the last uh, 13 or so years, we've uh, been um, uh, essentially we're fractional or interim COOs, operational people uh, coming into uh, smaller uh, established manufacturing companies that are, are often struggling with profitability or struggling to get products out the door. Uh, especially this year, it's been the latter, uh, just trying to keep up with demand. Um, and so we go in, help them uh, establish uh, new processes, KPIs, evaluate their product uh, assortment and uh, make improvements. And that all really drops to the bottom line. So they're more profitable. And then we can kind of continue growing the company from there. And then after a period of time, we, we sort of hire our replacements or train our replacements, and then we jump out of there and move on to the next client. So that's what we've been doing, and we absolutely love what we do. Yeah, very similar. Obviously, I'm a fractional CMO and, and same kind of thing. I, it's always interesting, and you go into these jobs knowing that it will end, and eventually you'll be out because you're going to find somebody to replace yourself. So it's an interesting model. I, I know people always say, I, I don't get it. So you take a project, you take a job, knowing that eventually you're going to get yourself out of a job. And they go, yep. Yeah. 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 I mean, we don't feel satisfied in, in, unless we're out of there, right? Uh, if they're, we're out of there, we haven't done our job. And so, you know, we're, we're very focused on trying to get out of there in a certain time frame leaving them in, in good hands. And then, you know, I check back with them every once in a while and I love to hear the progress and how things are going. And every once in a while we're pulled back in for special projects. Uh, but uh, yeah, our job is, is complete when we've made ourselves redundant. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. Very similar. So before we kind of dig into the, the topic of the day, I mean, you're a business owner. So what keeps you up at night when you think about growing your business? Uh, you know, I'd say the biggest challenge is trying to keep up with the number of, uh, of customers that need our help. Um, and, uh, and, you know, to do that, we need additional team members and I'm pretty picky. Uh, I hold the bar, pretty, uh, the, the bar pretty high with, with, uh, some of my associates and uh, so that's the hardest part is, is trying to find talented people that think like me. Um, but, you know, at the, uh, you know, what we do is I remain fully engaged with all of the projects. Um, so it's not that someone hires me, then I just plop someone in. I'm still, you know, very much engaged in the project as I, my team is maybe doing some of the, the, um, 
process mapping or documentation of SOPs and, and things like that. So that's the hardest part about my business, uh, but I love it. So you say what keeps me up at night. Honestly, I, I sleep well at night. I don't, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, there's, because we absolutely love what we do. It's like in the morning we get up, we're excited about, you know, the projects we're working on. So. <laughs> well, that's about, you know, having that passion. And, and I think it, like with you and like with me, I mean, when you bring someone in, it's not only about finding the quality people that can execute because it's not only more, it's your reputation that is their reputation, right? So you bring in somebody. I remember that one of the first times we belonged to a, a networking group. And I remember first time someone referred me in to one of their clients and I called them up and I said, you know, what can I do? I want to thank you, blah, blah, blah. And they said, here's what I want from you. Don't screw it up. <laughs> and, and I thought, yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's true. When you bring somebody in, you want to make sure the job's getting done right. Yeah. You, you bring up a really good topic. Um, you only have one reputation and, you know, I, I really pride myself on 100% sec success with all my clients. And, you know, I don't know how many I've worked with over the years, but well over 100 clients and not a single one would I say was an, was a failure by any means. And um, but it's your reputation. And, you know, I've been doing it long enough that my reputation is what gets gets us business. And because of that perfect track record, there's no shortage of opportunities, but every single time I'm working with a new client, we're fighting for success, right? And I, I tend to kind of tell all my new clients, 90 days, 90 days, you will have an aha moment. And uh, it's usually somewhere in that 60 to 90 days where they're fighting me, you know, it starts off with their, oh, what, you know, I, I'm not sure I want to do what he says. Uh, it's almost like a fight to get them to stop doing things, which is the hardest part. You know, why are you doing it that way? I don't know. Well, you need to stop. But after day 90, they've kind of drank the Kool-Aid and they go, okay, well, whatever Jeff says, we're going to do. And, uh, but those first 90 days are critical. Yeah. And, and that's, it's funny you say 90 days. That's typically my, my kind of block. I need 90 days to get you there. And it, it's so funny. It's like, I'll say, I want to interview your customers. Uh, oh, they love us. You don't need to talk to them. So yeah, I really want to talk to them because I find a lot of times that they do love you, but there's a lot of issues or there's problems or things they'd like to say, but they don't, but they'll tell yeah. a third party. And uh, so you're usually uncovering for me, uncovering lots of stuff, right? And then it, to your point, it starts to bubble up and then they start to see the value. Uh, I was in a, a meeting, I guess, last week. And I was presenting um, part of my assessment that I do. And, and one of the questions was, you know, do we have a strong onboarding program? And, and there were 11 people that took the assessment. And so I broke out all 11 people. And so you could see all the different the diversity among the group. But the one that ranked at the lowest was the head of sales. And so the CEO turned to the head of sales guys and said, you don't think we have a good onboarding program? And he said, hell no. <laughs> So are you responsible for fixing that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so my background's all entrepreneurial. I had my own business for years with lots of employees. And a lot of my practice kind of reflects back on all the things that I learned running the business myself. And then kind of like if I only would have known then what I know now. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm teaching my clients is what I know now. 
And you kind of, as an entrepreneur running a business and growing a business, you get stuck in the day-to-day and you don't take that, the, the time to look at big picture. You kind of kick the can down the road. And I'm the guy that comes in and starts questioning everything. I'm not tied down to day-to-day stuff. They deal with that. I deal in big picture. And, uh, you know, entrepreneurs find it very tough to, uh, you know, uh, kind of have that mental mindset that, uh, hey, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to look at everything I do and see if it still makes sense. Because you don't, you get caught up with day to day. Well, that's that working in the business versus on the business. And, yeah. and I find, and it sounds like you do too, that most of them don't work on it. They yeah. just, they're caught up in the day-to-day stuff that keeps going well, on. And oftentimes they know, they have kind of a general idea of what they need to do, but they, they, they say, you know what, I'll work on that tomorrow. And every day it's tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when we come in, it's like, no, today's today. We're going to start doing those things. And, uh, you know, you know, with, with the work we do with our manufacturing clients, um, you know, we're coming in with ideas and things that uh, has worked at other uh, companies, but some of the, some of the ideas come just from within the company. And well, why didn't we ever act on that? Well, either you never asked me or uh, someone promotes an idea and it wasn't good timing and it was shot down and they go, oh, forget it. They don't want to do that. So, so often we go in and, and, you know, when we're interviewing some of the people in the organization, we're taking their ideas, but we're also giving them credit for it. And when you present it to the owner in the context, in a, in a different context, um, and they look at it and go, yeah, you know, we talked about that 10 years ago, but when we bring it up, they go, okay, let's take a look at it. So a lot of times the ideas and changes and, you know, a lot of it's process changes and, you know, how do we do things? And, uh, but, you know, what we, when we're doing it, we're not taking the credit, we're giving the credit to the employees, which then that right there kind of starts shifting the culture mm-hmm. to a culture of change. And uh, so often I walk into a client's office and an employee will come up, Hey, Jeff, I got this idea, you know, and, and uh, we'll work on it. So the ideas, some, some of them come from us, some of them come from an internal uh, people within the organization. Well, that makes a lot of sense too, right? Because like we said, eventually you're going to be gone and you want those people to feel empowered to keep doing that. And really a lot of what we're going to talk about today ultimately becomes about change management, right? How changing the culture and the way operations happen. And and it's a behavioral change. It's, you know, trying to convince someone to do something different. And how do you get to that process to, 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 that effort to make sure it's a process that's ingrained and keeps going. Uh, You you had had written an article uh, that you sent over to me and I I loved it. Thank you for that. I'm not sure exactly when you wrote it, but you quoted uh, Jim Collins, good to great in that book. And this actually one of my favorite books and I, and I use it a lot. And one of the lines I use a lot is having the right people on the bus, which is, was in your first it, you know, a lot of times when you talk about people, they, they start to think HR, you know, I think it's an op, but I, I think it's an operational issue. Ultimately, it's about how people perform. And actually, my guest last week was about people performance, which don't necessarily get gets measured correctly. So how often do you find when you're getting into a client, it's, it's more people versus process? 100% people, 100%. Um, 
I was just talking to someone here in my office uh, this morning, um, and uh, there's there's a, there's a nuance to entrepreneurial businesses. Um, you start a business, you're on small budget, you add a couple of people, you have job functions that come up and different op- things that come up. You just start plugging the people you have into it. Uh, next thing you know, you've got people in certain roles for a com- much larger company that are often maybe not the right people for that role. Um, but there's a, an emotional attachment to those people. Those are the people that got us here, right? And so, so often it's the people that have allowed the company to basically plateau and they can't break out of it. So there's a lot of people decisions that need to be made. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you got to replace all your people. It's looking at what people do and identifying what their real capabilities are and moving them around. So to Jim Collins' point, it's not just having the right people on the bus, but it's having the right seat on the bus. Mm-hmm. So often we're moving the seats. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we do have to recognize that there's certain people that don't belong on the bus or new people that would be on the bus, but shifting people around the seats are the most important thing. Um, so, you know, you know, and to my, the article, I call it good, uh, 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 going big, I think is the article title. And I wrote it right when I started consulting um, mm-hmm. because I wanted, I, I, I notated here are the things that I learned, you know, what I knew then, what I know now, what I didn't know then. And uh, the article starts off with, you know, number one, read Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. It's an easy read, and it's so relevant to so many elements of a business. And so, uh, you know, it's like step one, read the book. Uh, And some of the biggest components of of that book is the people component of it. Mm -hmm. And so, but, you know, it is often people related and Sometimes it's the entrepreneur himself. That's a tough pill to swallow, right? Um, Nobody in the organization is going to say, Mr. Owner, you're not good at this, right? And as a consultant, I could come in and say, look, you know, operations isn't your strength. You're really more sales focused. Let's hire a number two person for you to do the operational side because you don't like it anyway. And often they're like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I, I don't like dealing with the, with that side of things. So when I'm working with the entrepreneurs, very rarely, I don't get called into highly functioning, you know, well, uh, machines. So oftentimes it's working with the owner, helping him or her define what they're really good at and then filling in the blanks where they're not. And, uh, and, and and that's what I enjoy about it. What do I do? And, you know, fast forward a year later, all my entrepreneur owners are like, man, I am, I'm having fun now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their home life is better and they're making more money. Um, there's one measurement that I use for our success and that's profit. At the end of the day, you're in business to make profit. And uh, we don't consider ourselves successful unless we see a 5% improvement in net profit. That's a big number. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and then you start building on those, on those profits and you start reinvesting it into the company. And then all of a sudden you just see this, this growth go. And it's fun for the owners. In your, in your, in your work and in, in the way you approach things, I mean, I, 
there's a lot of ways to drive profit. And I would assume in, in your role, it's about waste and in, in, in those inefficiencies. And so we'll talk about waste in a second, but when I, I want to stay on employees just for a second. I mean, it's, you look at employee efficiency, right? You say, okay, uh, you're going to do X, Y, Z, and, and you meet that. Now, how they got from A to B may not have been the most efficient way. And so I think a lot of times the owners say, well, he did it. He got there, you know, it was fine. But the, from getting from A to B, there was a lot of maybe turmoil. And so how do you measure employee efficiency? Because a lot of times on the manufacturing floor, and I, I've been fortunate, actually, I've worked in manufacturing companies. And so I spent time on the floor. I wasn't operating anything, but I had to know that could I get the product produced in time to make deliveries of the promises we were making. But how do you measure people that aren't producing a widget, so to speak, that that are doing something else within an organization? So nearly every job function in an organization has some some tool of measurement. Uh, like let's say for accounting, for instance, you could just count the number of invoices generated every day. Um, you know, in HR, you could just you know measure employee turnover. Um, there's probably not a single role within organization that you don't have some measurement or tool to measure efficiency. Uh, and we're very creative and, and come up with ways. Um, you know, we, we probably don't want to get uh, too far uh, down the whole talk conversation on KPIs because there's a lot of, I have a whole different conversation because you can't just start measuring everything because there's negative consequences that come out of it. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, I went to the Drucker school in Claremont for my MBA and I was very fortunate to be able to sit down and talk to Peter Drucker a number of times nice. before he, before he passed away. And uh, you know, because I went to his school, we learned a lot about his uh, 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 different elements and principles and disciplines and, but my favorite is, is his quote, you know, what gets measured gets managed. And, you know, that's KPIs, right? You can call it metrics, benchmarks. Uh, we usually refer to it as KPIs. And, um, you know, and that's, that's the tool to determine, are you successful? And, uh, and so, you know, to your, your question on, on, on efficiency, there's, there's, there's usually areas in every department you could set up a KPI to measure the efficiency. Now, well, you don't just start measuring, okay, let's see how many invoices we're going to produce. Um, you, got, you have to build it into a culture of, hey, we're not here to, to see if you're an A, B, or C student. You know, we're here to help you develop processes to be more efficient. And so, you know, just on the operational side of things, not the manufacturing side of things, um, you know, in accounting, let's go to that question about, you know, how many invoices we generate. Well, how do you do your invoices? Well, we enter them, we print them out, we print two copies. One goes in this file folder, one goes in that file folder, and you kind of go down the process. Well, they've been doing that for 40 years back before email, right? Well, why do you print it out? I don't know. We've always done it that way. If you mm -hmm. email them, why do you need to print them out? And you start questioning those things. Oh, that's when it starts really kind of clicking for people. Okay. And it's, it's, it's pulling those, the ways they've always done it away and question it. Do you find that, uh, you know, business process management tools or, you know, technology, I mean, that, 
those kind of things you look at, can you implement? And, and I think that's where you're going. It's how do you improve those efficiencies? And a lot of times that's technology and tools. Yeah. So technology is absolutely a key component. Now we're not technolo a technology company. Uh, we don't sell any software, but what we do know is a lot about technology. So in our logo, you'll see people process technology. Technology is a huge efficiency pickup. Um, you know, not only from tools for uh, dashboards to, to visualize the KPIs, but, um, you know, uh, improved ERP systems, uh, utilizing their ERPs to what its capabilities are. Oftentimes people get a, uh, a, an ERP, that's their software that runs mm -hmm. their business. They get trained on it and then the, that per the company goes away. Well, that training, they only learned maybe 5% of what's real capabilities and they never reached out to them and saying, tell us what else we could use this thing for. So a lot of times we're helping them just dive into their existing technologies to see what else they could use it for. Um, and then, you know, if we realize that their technologies are, are not what they need, we're part of the process to help them find and evaluate and implement new technologies. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned ERP. I've, I've been fortunate to work with a few ERP companies over the years. And, and, and you, what you just said is exactly right. Most companies utilize very little of the power of their ERP system. And, and, and they get stuck in there, right? We're happy. This is, it's working great here. And, but it's only 10% of the hundred percent that it could be utilizing and, and getting people to, to make that change. And I, and I, and, and, it, and you had another quote by uh, Peter Drucker was most companies don't want to change. It's it's because it's too much work. And I've and I've I've seen that with some of my clients. It's, it's working well, good enough. You know, it's a lot. It took us a lot to get here. I can't imagine what it's going to take to get to the next you know twenty or thirty or forty percent utilization. Yeah, to to that. So that you just brought up something that's uh, important. So if someone calls me and. So I have a client I want to introduce you to, and they kind of describe it. And, you know, sometimes it sounds like a total train wreck. The next question I ask is how much money are they making? If they're making decent profits, it's not a good client for us. There needs to be some stimulus, something that allows the owner to say, I need to change how I do my business today. And that's often when they start losing money or not, uh, or their profitability really starts to decline. Um, that's when they're willing to listen. But if they're making profits, that covers up all the problems. And so not to say we can't fix those companies, but it's harder for them to change. Hey, when they're making good money or making mm -hmm. the money that of the lifestyle that the owner wants, it's harder to change. So we really look for the ones where profitability is shrinking or gone. Um, and sometimes that's hard. It's like, hey, you're going to pay us a whole bunch of money to fix your company, but you don't have any money, right? But we usually work our, <laughs> we usually are able to work our way through that. So, yeah. I'm laughing because that I, I, that's very similar. I mean, typically when I'm called in, it's not because things are going really well, it's because they're not going well, and it could be everything from you know losing market share and profitability or. Uh, their their messaging or their competitions eating their lunch and and they just ignored it and all of a sudden one day it's there or in some cases hey we're a 30 year old company and you know we're whatever 10 million dollars and we want to be 
uh, 50 million in three years. It's like, okay, so it took you 30 to get to 10 and you want to, <laughs> it's like, okay, let's, let's get realistic. Let's figure out what happened here. Yeah. Um, there, there was kind of, we, we had a kind of a pre-meeting and there was like five topics that, that we discussed and I really want to dig into these. And I think these might be your kind of guiding principles when you, when you look at a company and manufacturing oriented. So, um, would I kind of talk about it? And, and eventually I want to get to a, a case study because I love case studies, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But one of the first ones you had was knowing your margin and that's, and by item, if we're really talking about manufacturing and kind of what goes into that and why is that important for the manufacturer? Yeah. So keep in mind, we work with, you know, smaller organizations, usually between, you know, 15 and $30 million, um, you know, not large corporations. You know, we're, we're, we're really designed for the smaller uh, manufacturing company and um, knowing your margin. So your margin is, you know, your direct cost to make the widgets that you make. And, uh, you know, knowing your margin is probably the most important thing. Most manufacturing companies we walk into, you run their PN, you ask them what their margin is and they go, well, we make good margins. Well, what is it? Well, we don't know. Uh, well, <laughs> All they know is what's on their P&L, which is a combination of all their costs and revenue. And they just know their margin based on that, if that's even correct. Um, the most important thing in manufacturing is to know how much does it cost me to make each widget? Mm -hmm. And there's a big component in that cost for manufacturers that they always struggle to measure. And that's what is my labor cost? And in this current economy, Cal we're in California, minimum wage is uh, going to hit $15 here uh, in January. So we've been dealing with it a little bit earlier than the rest of the world but or the rest of the U.S., but they're catching up. Uh, you combine that with uh, not, a, not a huge labor pool out there. So people are paying more and, and paying people more just to stay around. So that's kind of the topic du jour right now is labor costs and hiring, but the challenge they have is, is finding out how much labor is in this widget. And they have, they often don't have the tools or really never looked at it. And so you have to implement ways to understand what is my cost to make each widget. So often, if they make a whole bunch of products for a whole bunch of customers, so often they make money on some because they just guessed right when they did the estimating and they lose money on the others because they just estimated wrong, but don't know it. And the combination of the two is not a lot of profit. Now, maybe it's just enough to get by, but it's not a lot. Mm -hmm. So one of the elements we really focus in on is how do we measure our profitability down to the skew or down to the widget? And uh, sometimes it's just utilizing their technology, helping implement the technology that they never implemented, or we come up with very creative ways to estimate it. And it could be as simple as asking a guy on a piece of paper, write down how many of these widgets you made today and turn it in at the end of the day mm -hmm. and use an Excel to track it. So it's not, it doesn't have to be complicated. It was interesting uh, the way you just described that. So I worked in an oil and gas manufacturing company. So we made valves for oil production. And at the end of the day, they were big valves. They were assembled but every little piece had to be manufactured. And I remember sitting there in, in those meetings where they would say, okay, to your, your point, 
How many of these did you make in an hour? How many were waste? And then, but it was, you know, 10, 10 widgets to make the valve. And you had to measure all of them to figure out, you know, to your point where your estimating wasn't. And that was a, early in my career. And so it was a really interesting learning experience for me because, you know, I just never thought about those little time and how, what it took and, and more importantly, the waste, how many did you yeah. throw away during the process, right? Yeah. Every minute counts in manufacturing every single minute. The, the other, uh, another one you talked about was dashboards and certainly dashboard, you know, came around and I'll say because of technology, we think of dashboard very differently than maybe, you know, the big whiteboard where people were you know writing on the whiteboard. So how important are dashboards, not only in the finance part of it and marketing, we have dashboard, but in the manufacturing, how, how does everybody get integrated? And is that through the ERP system? Yeah, so we you know we you know, we call it a KPI dashboard. Uh, it's it's a place where you summarize all your KPIs, and I always describe it to people. Imagine driving your car without a dashboard. You wouldn't know how much fuel you have. You wouldn't know the speed you're going. You wouldn't know how much, you know, if your oil in you know oil low lights on. You 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 know you might get where you're going, but you got lucky. But there's going to become a time where you run out of gas. So I really use kind of a car dashboard is like running your business. You have different uh, measurements that come on one screen or on a report. And you use that to kind of manage your business. Uh, so, you know, we usually recommend uh, besides financial KPIs, which a lot of people have on their P&Ls, on their balance sheet, but on the operational side of things, on that same, let's say, dashboard, you have some of these other elements. So you might have 25 or so KPIs that measure different elements of the business. You always set kind of a benchmark. And and even if it's a measurement that is got a little bit of gray area in it, you're looking for trends. So even if it's not, and and that's where people get caught up. Well, there's always these nuances. Sometimes this machine makes a whole bunch at one time versus one at the other. doesn't matter. Don't get caught up in, in, in trying to get it to be a, a, a very precise number. You're just looking for trends. So if you measure it the same way every single day or week or month, you're going to see the trend. Is it going up? Is it going down? And uh, a lot of times you'll replace KPIs. Once you kind of figure out a new process and, okay, we don't need to look at that anymore, then you take it off your KPI dashboard and, and, and add a new one. Uh, so you're just looking at different measurements. Sometimes they get fancy with uh, different softwares where you could set it. So it's red is bad, green's good, yellow's okay. And you look at that dashboard and go, okay, there's more green than red. We're doing good. Um, but, you know, you have to have some way and you could do it in Excel. You know, sometimes we'll just throw, throw some Excel spreadsheets with, you know, by week or by month. And you could, again, just see the trend. Okay. The, when you think about the setting those KPIs and, and, and I think about when I do that with a client, I do it up front to, and, and we kind of agree on what we're going to measure. And certainly I have input and I assume that you're kind of doing the same, right? You're just, you're not just coming in and saying, here are the KPIs you need to measure. I mean, it's kind of a cooperative with your client. Correct. Yeah. You, you, it, there's a whole process we go through because if you go in and just start Creating KPIs without the input, uh, it can be taken the wrong way. People retaliate. They think they're being measured or scrutinized or, or whatever. So there's a very 
detailed process that we go through. So KPIs are embraced and that's key. Mm-hmm. You can't just go in, throw out some numbers and say, here's the number that you have to live up to. You, it's a process within the organization, but it's a, it's a process where we actually have the employees all participate in what they're being measured by. And that's critical. If, if you don't have their participation, they're not going to believe the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just had a flashback. Um, one of my summer jobs was actually working in a paper mill and we were doing, you know, rolling paper rolls for a, um, a calculators, you know, the old paper calculators. And every morning we'd show up and then the operator would say, okay, our quota today is whatever, you know, 500 rolls. I was like, well, where did we get that, that number from? And, and, and it come to find out it was the actual, the other operators were, they, they had, you know, corporate numbers, but they were competing against each other. And so every day our, our quotas kept going up and which made it more and more difficult. And to the point where we're like, this is crazy. We can't meet these numbers. And to, I think ultimately my story is to your point, if the if people aren't embracing it and understand the rationale behind it, you know, that potentially becomes an issue, right? So you want people to embrace the goals. Yeah. And, you know, it's always good to tie some incentives to it, financial incentives or some incentive. A lot of my clients, uh, we do company-wide profit um, sharing bonuses and everybody, um, part of the elements of it is tied to improvement in their KPIs. So, you know, uh, financial incentives always work well as well. Again, You have to watch out. You don't want to sit, have them focus on this. And a great example is output to you know, the number of roles, right? To your example. Sure, I could do a thousand of them, but a hundred of them would be wrong yeah, yeah, exactly. because we were working really hard. So you have to have a KPI to balance it, right? So you have production output, but maybe scrap is the other one. Right. So you, you have two that kind of balance each other out so they can't game the system. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we did have waste for sure, because yeah. we were moving at a very quick pace. Um, I want to talk about a case study, but there's one other that, that has always, you know, I call it the mystery box. Right. Forecasting and whether you're forecasting the raw goods that you need or you're forecasting you know, what you need to produce you know, based on potential client orders, those kinds of things. So how do you work with your clients on, on kind of that forecasting model? Yeah. So this has probably been the uh, first or second uh, biggest thing that we've been working on this year. Who hasn't heard of supply chain challenges, right? Mm-hmm. We're, yeah, we're going yeah. through absolute unprecedented times when it comes to it. Um, you know, everybody went from shutting their factories down to, the other side of it where they're doing more business than they've ever done uh, because you have uh, you know, a year's uh, downtime that you're trying to make up for and then very unusual demand. Um, and so this has been a hot topic. Um, you know, forecasting and demand planning is really more calculations than anything. And uh, companies, smaller manufacturers, they go, okay, well, we've always made 50 of these a month and put them on the shelf and, and, uh, and they've, you know, that's always gotten them by. Uh, you can't do that anymore. And so there's two ends of it. First is kind of demand planning or forecasting, right? Looking at the products you make. Then you also have to look at the, the back end of it. Well, it used to take a month to come on a boat from China. 
Now it's taken eight weeks. That's just basically all you're doing is adding four weeks to your lead time. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you're doing calculations. So we've been working with a lot of clients on demand planning, uh, our fill rates. Fill rate is how much uh, you could fill of the orders coming in. Our fill rates are are beating uh, with many of our customers beating, you know, industry, what the others in the industry are doing. Uh, we measure our success on fill rate. And uh, so we're, we're putting together not only the, the you know, here's the demand. Now, what do we need to make it? And then it's all about timing things. So your raw materials come in, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then there's a concept called lean manufacturing. Right. So, um, you know, or just in time inventory. So we implement some of these things where you don't want your raw materials to pile up or have all but one raw material. The worst is and this is what everybody's dealing with right now. There's a raw material they always had easy access to. Uh, Dunn Edwards is dealing with pigment problems right now. Okay, easy access to. Well, now they have all the material to make all this paint, but there's one pigment that's holding up all this inventory. So that, you know, we're helping companies really make sure their bills of material are accurate to make sure all the individual pieces are in there. You know, so often just a little screw or something that uh, they can't get is holding up the whole production. So we work with our clients to help them really refine it so they can get the products out uh, on time. And, you know, even if an order is going to be, you know, usually you tell customers one month and now it's two months. As long as you tell them two months and then and then their process falls in place and you can meet that commitment, customers are happy. People right now are dealing with, okay, it used to be a month. I'm going to tell you two months and now it takes four months. That's where customer satisfaction is really dropping off. So it's being realistic with your customers based on all these elements. Yeah, one of my clients is a, is a manufacturer's rep organization. And, and typically when they get specced into a project, they don't actually have to deliver product for six, seven months. Well, now their manufacturers that they're repping are now behind schedule. So projects are pushing, pushing out. And it's, it's interesting to see kind of a, the cause and effect of not only for their clients, but how it's affecting like the, the construction companies in this kind of rollout. And they just can't get the parts. They, to your point earlier, I mean, we, we live in California. All we need to do is look, look up in the Long Beach port and we can see a lot of ships just sitting out there in the, in the water. And, yeah. and then the cost, right? So uh, some of my clients have been saying, I used to be able to get products from China and the cost of the container was $2,000. Now it's sixteen dollars or $20,000. And what do you do with that? How do you pass that cost along or yeah. do you or don't you, right? A lot of issues. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, it, it's actually um, at twenty three to 25000 a container. And uh, we've been telling our client, when, um, back in January, we were telling our clients that it was going to hit twenty, and they thought we were crazy. Well, we're past that. And the latest prediction based on uh, the resources we have is thirty to 35000 is where it's going. Wow. And uh, we're finding clients where the cost of shipping is more than the goods in the container. Uh, we've been screaming inflation since probably January. Um, and I remember doing a presentation at a meeting in, in March and, uh, you know, it's starting to come true. Um, whether or not it's um, short term or long term, we believe it's long term, primarily based on the fact that some of the inflation is driven by labor costs. Once you hire somebody at $23 an hour, you're not reducing their pay. 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so because labor cost is a big component in manufacturing and you're hiring people at these higher wages, you can't go back. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're of the belief that inflation, uh, significant inflation or abnormal inflation is here to stay for a while because of the labor cost increases that are basically permanent. Yeah, I, 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 well, I have a question about alternative sourcing. A lot of times it's like, we get it out of China. Well, if you can't get it out of China, where else are you doing? You can't just tell your customers you can't deliver. So do you, and I wanna keep that answer short because I do wanna get a case study out of you and I know we have some timing issues. So um, is that something you work with your clients on as well? Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, the big big trend right now is um, um, bringing products back to America, um, which it, it, in some cases it it's practical. Uh, we're seeing some transition to other countries like India, uh, South America, uh, and then uh, and and then you know even Mexico. So um, I don't know the future. Uh, of things. I do know that, um, you know, we have to find that next, let's say China uh, over the next, you know, 10 or 15 years, because China's, you know, not as cost, it's not going to be continue to be the most cost effective country to take get goods from. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but, you know, I think, um, you know, really more than anything, it's just planning, planning and preparing with price, you know, pricing. So, you know, your prices are going up, your costs are going up. You just have to prepare for it. Yeah. Well, if you do figure out how to predict the future, let me know. Cause I want to get the insight <laughs> on the lottery. tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've got a few minutes left here, but let, give me a, give me a case study. Give me an example of, you know, something you've done and how sure. It works. Sure. You know, all of them are very similar. Uh, I'll talk about an aluminum casting company we've been working with for about two years. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a fourth generation, 70 year old company, um, you know, doing aluminum casting in, in Southern California, which is not the most cost effective market to do that. Um, but they have a phenomenal reputation in the industry, really worldwide. Uh, dealing with some big pro, pro, um, uh, projects with uh, some OEMs, auto manufacturers, things like that. Uh, when I met them um, about, uh, actually, I met them about three years ago, and it took them about a year to hire me. Uh, they weren't feeling the pain. And, and then a year later, they were really feeling it, and they called us. And now they said, we wish we would have brought you in even sooner. They hadn't made a profit uh, since the last uh, recession in 2008. Wow. Uh, no profits. Owners are taking, you know, modest wages, but from 2008 until about two years ago, no profit. And uh, everything I, I talked about over the last, you know, 30 minutes were issues they had. They didn't know how much it cost to make products. They didn't have good processes in place. Um, you know, uh, they didn't have, they had good people there, but didn't have a level or uh, a layer of leadership. They were just lacking some leadership. So we went in and did our thing, you know, I analyzed every SKU, implemented um, labor tracking uh, in their work order system. So every time a product moves from one workstation to the next, 
it captures how much labor was in there and throws it into the costing on it, moves to the process. We're tracking scrap, everything. Um, uh, the, 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 the good news of the company is this year they're going to make, um, they're on track to close the year at the end of this year with a 14% net profit. And on, um, you know, 20 plus million dollars, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, that also comes after some pretty significant investments we've made this year with some leadership and uh, transitioning and expanding their production down to uh, into other areas. Uh, so they are beyond thrilled. Um, what's exciting for them is uh, they're seeing this, you know, company absolutely flourish like it's never flourished before. So we we had our first uh, leadership meeting two months ago with some of the new executives in the company, and the owner afterwards pulled me aside. He goes, he goes, Jeff. Okay, now I see what you're talking about. We have some absolute superstars. Everybody did presentations and did analysis and everything. And he was just blown away. He's like, this, okay, this is, he goes, Jeff, this is what you call being a little more corporate, right? And I kind of laughed. I go, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, that's great. That's, that's great. I mean, I'm sure you've got a lot of successes. I, you know, that's uh, something I've always tried to track when, when possible. It's, it's, there's so many different measurements, but ultimately, like you said, is it, you know, what's your margins? Are you profitable? And is that contributing to growth? And, and yeah. at the end of the day, that's what they want. They don't hire us to, to fix one thing. It's ultimately, it's about, I need to get to the next level. If, you know, things are going sideways, whatever it happens to be. So uh, yeah. thank you for that. So uh, one last question before we part. What, what inspires you? What gets you out of bed every day? So um, my background's all entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. In fact, I own a couple other businesses. Uh, I'd call them side hustles. Uh, but I love business. I love entrepreneurship. It is in my blood. Um, what really drives me is when I'm working with my clients and you know, I es- essentially am helping them call the shots. It help. It makes me feel like it's my business as well. In fact, I I always tell them if I was in your shoes, this is what I would do, and that's really what it, I love is I'm actually helping run four or five six businesses at one time, and I'm watching them succeed, and that's really what inspires me is mm-hmm. the success of my clients, and I I kind of live vicariously through them. The 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 thing that uh, I like about it the most is. I'm helping them run their company, but I don't have any of the headaches that they have to deal with. I don't, I don't, you know, I mean, they are my problems, but I don't lose sleep at night. HR issues, people issues, all these issues, the ones that keep them up at night don't keep me up at night, but there's a benefit to that. I'm helping them make decisions without any emotion. And that's critical is making decisions without emotion. That's what got them where they are, making decisions with lots of emotion. And so I bring that unemotional side of it. And it usually is a very good decision that's combined between them and myself. So anyway. Well, I'm I'm glad you get good night's sleep. I'm I'm very similar. Uh, (laughs) So uh, why don't you tell the listeners? This has been a great conversation. I really thank you for your time. And I know that my listeners are going to really benefit from it. I mean, it's a, a, 
it, it's a what do you call it a, a master class um at least at least a couple classes <laughs> yeah. so i do appreciate the insights but why don't you tell the listeners how they can contact you and about your website or how they can connect yeah, so our website's uh, uh, jsbnetwork.com, uh, and uh, you know my email's jbrown at jsbnetwork.com. So uh, feel free to reach out to me. I, as I say, I love helping entrepreneurs, and uh, I I often give a lot of free consulting when people call me. Hey, how should I do this, or what should I do here? And I just love helping entrepreneurs. So. Uh, even if you don't want to hire us, but you have some questions, you know, just reach out to me. I'm happy to answer them. Well, fantastic. And this is what this show is all about is business advice and helping other people get to the next level. So again, I thank you for your time. I thank you for that offer. And um, I look forward to sharing this with my listeners and I look forward to seeing you uh, at one of our next events or outings or Zoom meetings that we seem to be having a lot of. Yeah. <laughs> all Thanks, right, Jeff. Angela. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Jeff, thank you again for stopping by the Business Growth Cafe. This has been a great conversation and really a lot of insights that I believe my listeners will benefit from. And so I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to joining us. Now, you listeners out there, if your business is not growing as planned because of marketing conditions, the competition, your messaging is not resonating for any reason, your, your business has stalled, your growth is not working, you're thinking about an exit strategy, give us a call. We'd love to talk to you about how our marketing services can help move your business along. And marketing, along with what you heard today with operations, we can all work together to help your business become more profitable and help you achieve your goals. You can stop by theponzagroup.com to find out more about our services. There's a lot of blogs and videos and emails. And so you can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And lastly, if you're a subscriber to the show, thank you so much. I really appreciate your, your, your patronage. And if you're not a subscriber and maybe you're here for the very first time, I encourage you to sign up so you can make sure you're on the list to get notified of all the great content that we're putting out here today. You can also go to the businessgrowthcafe.com or subscribe on any podcast platform you like to listen to. And don't forget, join me here next week at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.